John chapter 7, verses 1 through 31. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about um, him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing. God, we thank you for the word that you have given to us. These things were not done in a corner nor hidden uh, from the people, but rather you have proclaimed this far and wide and brought this to ourselves. We pray that you would help us to take confidence in the Savior that you have sent for us. 
that we might dwell with you and walk in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, maybe your experience is different, but when I came to this chapter, there are a few verses that are familiar later on, but it's one of the lesser, less familiar chapters, I would say, in the Gospel of John. I mean, the Gospel of John has John 3.16, has the woman at the well, has in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But this one is uh, not as commonly talked about, I think. Part of it is that there's so much back and forth between Jesus and various groups of people. You have Jesus' brothers, you have uh, Jesus, you have the crowds, you have the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you have the Jews. All of these might be overlapping groups, but are kind of identified as different groups, and uh, all have different things that they are concerned about. But we do have, I think, in this passage that I just read, uh, something of a theme, probably more than one theme, but one theme that we find in it is that uh, Jesus is sent by the Father, uh, but there is resistance to this message. Uh, there, is, there is a hatred of the world toward Christ, a, a willful resistance toward Christ, which he exhorts us not to have, you know, to not resist this message, to, to judge with right judgment and not a hasty, superficial judgment that uh, would condemn him, but rather uh, to, uh, to will to do the Father's will, to uh, willingly submit to this uh, instruction of God, to judge rightly whether this be the Christ. And of course, uh, the problem is that our sin rises up against the truth. It wants to suppress the truth. And yet God's grace is that through Jesus Christ, sinners are brought to see the truth and to come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But in verses 1 through 9, we have Jesus and his brothers, and we learn that the world hates Jesus and why the world hates Jesus. In verses 10 through 19, we see the divided opinions about Jesus at the feast. Um, and he says that if you wanted to do the will of God, you would see if you would know if this teaching comes from God or not. And then verses 20 through 24, that uh, Jesus' work, his deeds, are in line with God's law and tells them to judge not by appearances, but by right judgment. Well, let's first look at the first nine verses. Jesus and his brothers. Jesus has been ministering in Galilee. He had been in Jerusalem. He had healed the lame man, the lame man uh, at the pool. And he had gone back to Galilee, which is where he had grown up. And had been doing much ministry there for, uh, it seems, maybe about 18 months. Uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, spend a lot of time recounting the deeds and teachings Jesus did in Galilee. And John recounts some of that. The feeding of the 5,000 is an example. Uh, but John gives more attention to Jesus in Jerusalem. And the feeding of the 5,000 happened at the Feast of Passover around that time. Now we're at the Feast of Booths. We read in Leviticus 23 the background to that feast. It was a 
fall feast. It was a feast in the seventh month, uh, which is kind of similar to September in the, our calendar. And it was called the Feast of Booths because they would construct booths, uh, makeshift shelters or uh, something like a tent or uh, something made out of uh, things that they could find to remember how they had dwelt in temporary dwellings in the wilderness when God had cared for them. This is one of those feasts that God had appointed in the Old Covenant. And... Uh, Jesus' brothers urged Jesus to go with them to the Feast of Booths, to go up to Jerusalem, because that is where the feasts were held, where they were celebrated. Now, Jesus had brothers. They're mentioned by name in some places. Uh, Later on, they will believe in him. Uh, At least uh, some of them, we know James and Jude, uh, probably the authors of the books that have their names. But at this time, they did not believe in Jesus. The brothers that are mentioned here did, did not believe in Jesus. They don't understand Jesus' mission. Uh, they uh, want Jesus to go to the Feast of Booths so that he would show himself to the world. But Jesus has to tell them that he's not doing his own will. He's following the plan set before him by the Father that he has a time that is coming, that he didn't simply come to teach, but he also came to be crucified and to be glorified. He doesn't get into those details, but he has a time, and the time is not ready. So he's not going to have his big triumphant entry uh, to Jerusalem yet. That would come six months later. That would come at the Passover the next year, at the beginning of the next year. But this fall, he would come in a different way. And in fact, he tells his brothers that uh, he is not going up to this feast. That either means I'm not going yet to this feast, or I'm not now in the process of going to this feast. Uh, With the present tense has a sense of ongoing action. And he does not go with that caravan of friends and acquaintances that would have gone from that town. Because if people were looking for Jesus, they would probably try to find where those pilgrims from, uh, from Galilee, from Nazareth, you know, where were they? And that would be how they would identify Jesus. But he doesn't go up publicly. He doesn't go up with the, the caravan. He lets the brothers go up on their own. Jesus was on mission. His brothers did not believe him. And thus, they had nothing to fear from the world. It would have been a small matter for them to think of, oh, show yourself to the world. Jesus knew, though, that the world would not just receive him with open arms. Uh, He would come to his own, and his own would not receive him. Uh, That there was a hatred for him in the world. The world did not hate his brothers at that time because they were still of the world. The world was not threatened by them, but the world did hate Jesus. And why did the world hate Jesus? Jesus had come to save the world. Jesus had come to do great good. Jesus was their king. Why did they hate Jesus? Because he testified about the world that its deeds were evil. They didn't want to be brought into the light. They wanted their deeds to remain in darkness and covered up, or at least not exposed for the sin that it really was. 
the world had fallen into sin, the mass of mankind and Adam, and they did not want to be corrected or convicted of their sins. But Jesus, who came proclaiming God, revealing God, God in the flesh, calling people to receive salvation, they felt the world would feel convicted by this. It implies that they are doing evil. The world hates Jesus and his disciples who follow him. The world hates to be convicted of sin. It wants its evil deeds to remain hidden in the dark, covered over by the mutual justifications of one another, by their own self-righteousness and proclamations of their justness, that they are doing right, that we are all pretty good, uh, that we are all good people, and none of us are going anywhere bad. That's what the world wants to think. If Jesus merely affirmed the world and said, you know, you are great the way you are, I'm just here as a cheerleader to encourage you, the world wouldn't have had a problem with that. I don't think Jesus would have been crucified. But Jesus did not simply affirm the world. The world hates the real Jesus. Sometimes the world tries to tame Jesus, especially because he's not standing there right in front of them, come up with their own version of Jesus. Oh, I think Jesus would have done this. Oh, how do you know Jesus would have done that? Is it what his word tells us that he would have done? They hate the real Jesus. That's what Jesus said would, would be the case, that the world would hate him because he did not affirm the fallen world and its sins, but exposed them to the light. He was the light, the true light, which is coming into the world. He did not come to condemn the world, but he came proclaiming that it was already condemned, that it was in dire need of salvation, that it was in sin, that it was in great contrast with the true light that was himself. He was righteous, and the world was all dark in contrast. Jesus calls the world to repentance, to flee from condemnation to his salvation. He came to destroy the works of the devil. The devil, been a sinner, had led mankind into sin, but he came to destroy the works of the devil, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people that would be zealous for good works, a people that would practice righteousness. He did not come to condemn the world, but he does testify that its works are evil and that it is already condemned. Now, the one who believes in Jesus is not condemned, does not pass into judgment, but he has, he has passed into life. The one who believes in Jesus has been called out of the world, out of that world of lust and pride, to practice righteousness, has passed out of the death. Remember John says in 1 John that the one who does not love his brother abides in death, but the one who believes in Jesus has passed out of death into life. And so he loves his brother, begins to practice righteousness. Those who do not believe in him belong to the world, and they do not threaten the world. The world embraces them, and they embrace the world. But those who have been born again begin to practice righteousness, begin to be different, begin to leave behind the works of darkness, but rather to expose them, to reprove them, to be a contrast to them, 
Usually the world doesn't even, you don't even have to directly condemn it. Simply being different and not joining in with them is often enough to cause that conscience to kick in and to begin to speak up simply by choosing to do something different. Not that we should stop there, but as a witness in itself of a different way of the true God, of the standard of righteousness that we are called to. So like Jesus, we testify that the works of the world are evil. And like Cain hated Abel, the world not only hates Jesus, but also his disciples. Why? Because their deeds were righteous. And that's been the cause of this enmity and strife and hatred, even from the beginning, even from the beginning of man's life under sin, from Cain and Abel. And so Jesus recognizes that there is this, this prejudice, this, this hatred already existing. They wouldn't give him a fair hear, hear, hearing, a fair hear, hearing, I can't even say it, fair hearing, um, but rather that he would come bringing a sword, um, that there would be people provoked. Some people would come to him and follow him to the death. Other people would put him to death. So he goes privately to this feast. It's not quite yet time for him to be crucified. And he comes later, privately, without that great triumphant entry, which would trigger the opposition that would lead to his death at the following Passover. Now, in verses 10 through 19, we see the divided opinions about Jesus at the feast. The people get to the feast and they're like, oh, is Jesus here this year? Remember when he was here a year or two ago and he healed that lame man and he was teaching in the temple? But we can't talk very loudly about him because if the, if the rabbis or if the scribes and the Pharisees hear us talking about Jesus, we might get kicked out of the synagogue or we might get behold before the, the elders and they might uh, treat us like they treated that lame man who was healed. We better talk quietly, but it would be cool if we see him. Oh, but I think he's... Uh, a person that's leading people astray, says one person. He's a false teacher. Other people say, I think he's a good man. His teachings were good and wise. They seem to accord with the scriptures that we have. And so they would mutter like this back and forth, as they've been doing for 2,000 years. Different people with different opinions about Jesus. But then Jesus shows up in the middle of the party, in the middle of the feast, uh, in the temple. He begins teaching. Oh, there he is. And he's the talk of the town still. When he begins to teach, the Jews were amazed at his learning. The Jews here especially refers to the most hostile crowd there, uh, probably especially the Judean leadership, the Jews, not the Galileans, the Jews, especially those uh, in the establishment. And the Jews were amazed at his learning. Where did he get this wisdom, this teaching, this ability to teach when he didn't go to seminary, didn't go to their version of seminary. Uh, he had not been a student of one of the rabbis. You know, where was his, his degree or his pedigree? He wasn't like Paul who had sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. Um, Paul might have been sitting at the feet of Gamaliel at the time. I forget the exact timeline there. But Jesus had not studied in that way, had probably gone to you know, learn how to read and write. In fact, we're going to find him writing in the dust in another chapter or so, but was not uh, educated as a rabbi. So where did he get this 
learning. He certainly was a good teacher, as everyone recognized. Well, Jesus explains that his teachings were the teachings of God. He didn't get them from Rabbi so-and-so who got them from Rabbi so-and-so. He didn't bolster his opinion by quoting uh, the teachers of the past, as is typical for uh, mere human teachers to do so, especially at the time. But he received this directly from God himself. He was commissioned by the Father to teach these things. These were not merely the teachings of one more rabbi, one more teacher, but it was the word of God. Jesus corrected the people, particularly these Jews who were hostile to him, by pointing to a failure of the will. He says in verse 17, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Those who did not receive him did not want to do God's will. Anyone who was willing to do God's will would know whether his teaching was from God or not. Of course, his contention was that it was from God, and they would know that if they really wanted to do God's will. But they suppressed the truth. They were resisting the God they professed. They did not recognize the Messiah that he had sent. They failed to judge him rightly because they were uh, blinded by this rebellion. He says, Moses had given you a law, and yet none of you keep it. If they did not receive Moses, they would not receive Jesus either. In fact, contrary to the law of Moses, they were trying to kill him. What did Moses say? You know, conveying the words of God. Thou shalt not kill. And some of them were about to break that. And were going to six months later. And this is similar to 1 John 4. Where John writes of the false teachers who teach error. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Uh, but there is uh, an initial willingness or submission to God, the fear of God, that is the beginning of wisdom that allows one to understand what God is teaching. This is true regarding total depravity, man's uh, condition in sin, which makes one unable to receive the will of God until he regenerates the heart and enlightens the mind, renews the will so that we embrace Christ freely offered to us. It's true about the necessity of the new birth by God's grace, that you must be born again. It also continues to be true for the rest of your life. You must study with a willingness to do God's will. When you sit down to read scripture, to sit down with a willingness to do God's will, that God is the Lord, and I'm going to do what he teaches. I'm going to try to understand that, pray for his direction, and be willing to do God's will so that I might understand it and not resist it with that rebellion that's going to rise up in my heart when I begin to get convicted and he's going to correct me that I'm wrong about something not to hate that not to suppress that but to receive it obediently we ought to study the word of God with the readiness to submit to his revealed will this is part of the attitude that we get when we 
believe in God, the, the, the faith which we trust in Him, ready to, to lay down our life uh, and entrust it to God for His direction. This is what the book of Proverbs taught, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The one who is humble before God, ready to listen and attend to what he teaches, that is the person who's going to grow in wisdom, who's going to grow in understanding. The person who seeks out this instruction from God is the one who will receive it and more will be added to him. So the world hates Jesus. The world does not have this willingness to do the to do God's will and therefore misses the message. But by God's grace, we are brought out of the world and out of this hatred to receive the one who is true, the one whose message is from God. Verses 20 through 24, then, where we find that Jesus defends his work, the reason they were trying to kill him, and warns them to beware of superficial judgments, hasty judgments. They, now we have the crowd. So there were the Jews. There's then the crowd who hears this, and they're probably not as aware of the intention to kill Jesus. Um, the Jews are the ones that are seeking to kill him. But then the crowd says, once Jesus says, why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answers, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? It's almost like they're saying, you're crazy. You know, why do you think everyone's out to get you? Why, why, who's seeking to, to kill you? But then Jesus reminds them of what had provoked that hostility, that he did this one work, and it was a healing of a man, and it was on the Sabbath day. And that is why some were seeking to kill him. <clears throat> he defended his actions. Uh, he pointed out that they would even agree that when it comes time for circumcision in that time, under the Old Covenant, on the eighth, that eighth day, uh, landed on the Sabbath, that they would still do that work on the Sabbath day, that that was not considered breaking uh, the law. So he says, if, it's, if on the Sabbath a man re- receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? You have one, one part of the body or the whole body. Isn't it a time to do good and to, to bless? Even though this healing wasn't urgent, he could have waited for the next day. It was a deed of mercy and good that befitted the day, especially since it was from Christ. But yes, it was no reason for them to, to condemn him. Uh, he had done something that would befit the Sabbath day, which was to be a day of rest, also of worship, also of mercy. And so it was a fitting day for him to make one's whole body well. Even they realized that it was all right to, to circumcise a person on that day. But then he concludes with a very important statement. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Uh, Jesus wanted them to uh, evaluate, to make moral judgments, uh, but to not do so by appearances, but to do so justly, to do so rightly, to consider and understand the law of God and to come to rights conclusions, particularly about himself, that they would judge him rightly, that they would judge him to be the Christ 
and not one who would lead people astray. He knows that sinners are often led astray by their sins, by their blindness, to not see things correctly. It's important for us to judge rightly, to judge with right judgment. And so that applies to when we are considering the actions of other people, that we don't come to a hasty judgment based on appearances, that we judge with right judgment. How much more is it important when we consider Christ, that we examine the scriptures to see if these things be so, uh, that we affirm that confession that we confess, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The final parts of this passage, we simply have, or we have more uh, questions, and the explicit it becomes now explicit that people are asking if Jesus is the Christ, if Jesus is the Messiah. Can this one be the Christ? Why is he getting away with speaking in the temple? Why aren't, why aren't the leaders arresting him and, and, and getting him killed? Maybe they know that he really is the Christ. They're just holding out on us. There's a lot of confusion and, and discussion and some irony as well. Oh, we know where this guy's from. Do they really know where he's from? Um, he says... Uh, that he came from the Father, and you don't know the Father. And that is where I came from. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they continued to seek to arrest him, but his time had not yet come, and so he's preserved from that. And many believed. Will the Christ do more signs than this man has done? He did these signs so that we would believe that he is the Christ and have life in believing in his name. And so that is the, te- the key question. Is Jesus the Christ? Or is he a false teacher? Is he demon-possessed? Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or, in accord with his works, in accord with what the Old Testament had taught, in accord with his own claims and the right goodness of his teachings, ought we to conclude that Jesus is the Christ? He is the one sent by God. He is the Savior of the world. That is what we ought to conclude. So let us submit ourselves to Christ and to come to him. Let's join with me in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy upon us who, due to our sin and rebellion, would have resisted uh, the good things that you offered to us to use them and misuse them. But we thank you for sending your spirit to work on our hearts, to give us new hearts, uh, to uh, cause us to come to Christ, to draw us to him through your word. We pray that you would powerfully uh, make this word effectual, not only to us, um, but to uh, the people, uh, to our friends and neighbors and our relatives. We pray that uh, even as you brought the brothers of Christ, according to the flesh, uh, to salvation after resisting for a time, that you would work similarly in, with our relatives or friends or loved ones uh, who yet walk in darkness. We pray that you would make your name known by your grace and the way of salvation that you have offered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.